Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens. That's me, where I will be your host for a creepy double feature every night throughout the month of October. Come join me, won't you? Tonight is October 17th, and it is Scary 70s Night, because tonight on 62 Horror Movies, we are going to talk about and watch two movies that only could have been made in the 1970s. First, we are going to watch and talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Of course we are. Released in 1975, and then our second feature of the night will be Carrie, adapted from the novel by Stephen King and directed with 1970s glee by Brian De Palma. Released in 1977. So, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a movie kind of like The Nightmare Before Christmas where it's hard to talk about because it is so beloved by so many people, including myself. But I am going to do the best I can. I recommend that everyone who is interested in Rocky Horror, which I hope is everyone who's listening to this podcast, uh, check out the book called Rocky Horror from, uh, uh, from Context to Cult. Um, excuse me, that is Rocky Horror from Concept to Cult. And it's written by uh, Scott Michaels and Daniel Evans. And both Scott Michaels and Daniel Evans for this book interviewed absolutely every single person who was still alive at the time of publication in the late 1990s who had any affiliation with the Rocky Horror Show, the stage show, and the movie, and the productions beyond. It is a really extraordinary book. Uh, They interview everyone involved in the Rocky Horror universe, except for Tim Curry, because he would not talk to them at the time, uh, because he did not want to talk about Rocky for a long, long time, but he did play the narrator in uh, the Fo- I think the Fox version of Rocky Horror that they produced. Um, it's, it's not good, but it's great. But it was great to see Tim Curry embrace his legacy, and we'll talk about Tim Curry's thoughts about Rocky in a little bit. But it's a terrific book, and. It gives such a great portrait of how this 
spooky, queer, affirming, haunted phenomenon happened and took over all the world. Um, fair warning, it does use some terminology in referring to interviewing uh, the actors who played the Transylvanians. Uh, they The authors describe the Transylvanians with a word that is not acceptable now in 2020. Uh, so, and... If you're from my tribe, you know what I'm the word I'm talking about, probably. Um, but that's something to keep in mind. But it's a great book, and it gives you such an intimate view of why Rocky Horror and came to be, and why it became so successful. It's a great read. It's like a, a 450 page book. It's wonderful. Um, one of the interesting things about that book that is revealed in it is that a lot of the people that made the Rocky Horror Show deeply hate one another. Uh, now, uh, they didn't then, obviously. Uh, so that's a, that's just an interesting thing. Um... So the Rocky Horror Show started out in 1973. Uh, it, the book, uh, music, and lyrics were written by Richard O'Brien. And Richard O'Brien was a musician, a singer, and an actor with a really great voice who, had, who was going to replace be the first replacement for the actor who played King Herod in the original London production of Jesus Christ Superstar, which happened to be directed by Jim Sharman. Jim Sharman is an Australian gay director, uh, and he directed the uh, UK, Australian and then the UK production productions of Jesus Christ Superstar, and Android, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber preferred Jim Sharman's version to the Broadway version of Superstar. So Richard O'Brien was going to play King Herod, uh, be the first replacement in this very famous and landmark production uh, that was selling out, was critically acclaimed. And Richard O'Brien played King Herod for one single performance because Richard O'Brien didn't want to play King Herod as he had been originally played, which was, if you know the show, it's almost always done this way, is this very effeminate gay man. He want, Richard O'Brien wanted to perform it like a rock star, which is what he really thought he was. Um lasted one performance, and then Richard O'Brien was fired. Uh, Richard O'Brien then started to write. He wrote this musical that was influenced by all the old horror movies and sci-fi movies that he had grown up with as a kid, and... The Rocky Horror Show ended up being produced in the Royal Court upstairs. 
And for the folks who don't know, the Royal Court Theatre in England is the place for new plays in the UK. They have the Downstairs Theatre, which is where you have the, the sort of main stage shows. And then in the theatre upstairs, kind of what we would think of the black box, that is where experimental work could be done. And that is where Richard O'Brien's The Rocky Horror Show was done in 1973. And it ended up being directed by Jim Sharman, uh, the same person who had fired Richard O'Brien from Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, Jim Sharman had such a great eye for this piece. He really understood it. And the original stage production of Rocky Horror is so different from the movie and so different from what we now come to expect in that the original stage production of the Rocky Horror Show was set in an abandoned movie theater um, that was haunted, and the the opening song, science fiction double feature, was sung by an usherette character who was a ghost, who was, in the original production, played by Patricia Quinn, who also played the role of Magenta in the original production and in the film. And in the film, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it, of course, opens with those lips singing science fiction double feature. Those lips that you see in the opening credits belong to Patricia Quinn, uh, who sang the, the song in the original productions. But the voice you hear in <laughs> the movie version, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, is Richard O'Brien, the original creator, even though... It's, Pat, it's Patricia Quinn's lips, and Patricia Quinn was pretty pissed about losing that song because she thought that was her big moment. Uh, she didn't think much of the role of Magenta. Uh, the role of Magenta really became what it was in the film itself, but if you read the stage script, Magenta's not really anything. Um, but anyway... The production at the Royal Court Theatre upstairs, the opening night, uh, was attended by Vincent Price, which is one of those delightful historic facts you could not make up. And the only reason for that is that Vincent Price's wife, the actor Coral Brown, was acting in a main role in the Royal Court Theatre downstairs main stage production at the time. And because the Rocky Horror Show, as it was finally named, the original title was They Came From Denton High, changed uh, at the last minute to the Rocky Horror Show. Thank goodness. Um... Because it was a musical, a rock musical, it couldn't go on until the main stage play had finished. So the Rocky Horror Show in the theater upstairs did not go on until like 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so on the opening night of this show, uh, Vincent Price and Coral Brown attended it. 
and Vincent Price loved the Rocky Horror Show. And he went backstage after that opening night performance to tell the cast how much he loved it. So, obviously, that meant a lot. So, talking about the cast of the Rocky Horror Show originally, from the beginning, the actor who played the main role of Dr. Frankenfurter was Tim Curry. And as Frankenfurter Tim Curry gives, I think most people would agree as one of the great, great performances either in both in theater and in film. It is one of the greatest performances ever given. And originally, when he was cast, um, Tim Curry actually auditioned for Frankenfurter by sitting at the piano and singing uh, the song Tutti Frutti, by the way, uh, and walked off with the part because he killed it. Um, he initially struggled with the role of Frankenfurter because this was basically a fringe production that, you know... It was going to go on for three weeks and then never be seen again. But the th there were two things that made Tim Curry into Frankenfurter. And one of those things happened when he was on the bus on his way to rehearsal to the royal court. And he was listening to these two older women. Uh, older British women who were having a conversation and they had one of them had this extraordinary voice very reminiscent of Queen Elizabeth II and Tim Curry heard one of those older British women say do you have a house in town or in the country and from hearing that Tim Curry decided that has to be Frankenfurter's voice. Um, that sort of ridiculous stereotype of a classy British th person. Uh, and he ran with that, and that's what you hear. And I don't think it's an accident that you see Frankenfurter's costume with pearls like Queen Elizabeth II always wears that very proper accent. The second thing that got Tim Curry into the character of Frankenfurter was his shoes. And the costumes for the Rocky Horror Show and the Rocky Horror Picture Show were designed by Sue Blaine, who is an extraordinary costume designer, and it is argued and I think argued convincingly that she and Rocky Horror inspired the modern punk clothing movement, uh, including, like, crazy dyed hair and ripped fishnets and all the... Th and platforms and all the things that come with the costumes you see in Rocky Horror. Sue Blaine did that, and... Uh, the book I've mentioned, Rocky Horror from Concept to Cult, really goes a long way into convincing yeah, that Rocky Horror invented punk fashion. And I'm not mad at that. 
But the thing was that Sue Blaine bought Tim Curry's shoes in a woman's size. He could fit into the biggest woman's size available in a normal shop. And when Tim Curry put those shoes, those heels on, with that voice, that is when Frankenfurter was born, with the brilliant performance that he does, was born. Uh, but Sue Blaine said that in the stage show, the thing that she thought was really important is that in the original shoes that Tim Curry as Frankenfurter wore, his toes stuck out and his heels stuck out. So they weren't shoes meant for him to be wearing. They weren't shoes built for this character to be wearing. Uh, they were something that this character had made their own, even though they were not quite right for them. And I think that's a really beautiful uh, fact. So, talking, a I'm going way over time, and it's okay, because it's Rocky Horror, for fuck's sake. So, the Rocky Horror Picture Show came about after the London production of the Rocky Horror Show had run for a couple years, and then the Rocky Horror Show went to Los Angeles, uh, went to America at the Roxy in Los Angeles, which was not a theater. It was a music club, like sort of the L.A. equivalent to Studio 54. And they perform. that's where they brought the Rocky Horror Show for the first time in the United States, starring Tim Curry as Frankenfurter, obviously, um, but otherwise with an American cast. And in that American cast was Meatloaf. Uh, and it was in the Los Angeles production that Meatloaf was introduced into the Rocky Horror family as he continued. Um, and the plan was that after it was such a success in Los Angeles, ran for near, like, months, 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 like, selling out, huge success... Then they were going to bring the Rocky Horror Show to Broadway. Side note, my favorite recording of Rocky Horror is not the film soundtrack. It is the Roxy cast, that 1974 Los Angeles cast. I think that is the best recording of this score, and I recommend you listen to it. So, uh, picking up my story, the plan was after the successful Roxy L.A. run, they were going to go to Broadway, and that was a huge mistake, uh, because it, on Broadway, it was the first time that the Rocky Horror Show was going to be performed in a real theater, in London, in Los Angeles, it had been kind of in either fringe black box spaces or in old movie theaters or in a, a night disco dance club. Um, 
But Broadway was the first time where it was on a proscenium stage, and it just killed it. It did not work at all, and the production closed very soon uh, after it opened. But Tim Curry did get a Tony nomination for Best Actor in a Musical for the short-lived Broadway engagement of the Rocky Horror Show, as he fucking should. Um, and this kind of the sad thing is, is that that was Tim Curry's last experience of Frankenfurter, because in between the hugely successful Los Angeles production and the hugely awful failure of the Broadway production, that is when they made the movie. That is when they made the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think the only movie ever made that has never been out of circulation since it was initially released in 1975. It has become immortal, and a huge part of why it has become immortal is Tim Curry's performance as Frankenfurter, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show and in the original stage play. It is one of those instances when you can tell it is an actor giving the best performance they will ever give in their entire life. And Tim Curry has given some incredible performances since Rocky Horror, of course. But... Frankenfurter made him immortal, for better and for worse. Another thing that's great about the Rocky Horror Picture Show is that, for the most part, the cast and the creative team is the same from the original stage production, and... That's kind of unheard of. It's very rare that that happens. Um, but you have the Rocky Horror Picture Show, obviously written by Richard O'Brien, uh, and directed by the original director, Jim Sharman, designed by the original costume designer, Sue Blame. You have Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, who originated the role. Uh, you have Richard O'Brien, the writer who originated the role of Riff Raff. You have Patricia Quinn, who is actually Lady Stevens. Uh, she married Robert Stevens, the son of Maggie Smith, um, and a great actor who died in the 90s. Um, but Patricia Quinn is still alive, and she is a British lady uh, title. Um, playing Magenta, who she played in the original production. You have Nell Campbell, also known as Little Nell, who was in the original production. You have Jonathan Adams as Dr. Scott, who played the narrator in the original production of the Rocky Horror Show, but they wouldn't, him, they wouldn't allow him to play um, the narrator and Dr. Scott. They made him pick, and Jonathan Adams justifiably picked Dr. Scott, uh, and he's fucking great. 
Yeah, Meatloaf as Eddie, uh, who had played Eddie in the Rock, the Los Angeles Roxy production. So all these people who intimately knew this piece and had done it for years in some cases by the point this movie was made. And then you have the folks who were added into it. You have Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss. Um, she's great in this movie. Um, that was the condition that the Rocky Horror Picture Show is made on, that they got to keep a lot of the original cast if they hired a Two Americans as Brad and Janet. That was the deal. Um, but, like, thankfully, they got really great actors to do so. Um, Susan Sarandon is great as Janet, but I would encourage you to listen to both the Los Angeles Roxy cast recording of the Rocky Horror Show and the very original um, London recording of the Rocky Horror Show, because the thing is, Janet was originally written as a big Broadway kind of belter kind of role, big, big, amazing voice that could just kill a song, um, and Susan Sarandon's not that, her Janet, as far as the singing goes, is very light, uh, sort of wispy soprano, which also works wonderfully. I'm not criticizing her, but I think the fact that Janet was originally written to be a big belty role is something that's been lost in the Rocky Horror mythology that I kind of think should come back. As Brad Majors, you have Barry Bostwick, who was also a Broadway veteran, starred in the original production of Grease. He's Brad. He's absolutely wonderful. He's terrific. Um, the original Brad Majors, incidentally, was an actor named Christopher Malcolm, who uh, might be known to a portion of my audience for appearing as Safi's father in the British sitcom Absolutely Fabulous. Um, he was the original Brad, uh, and when he found out he was not going to play Brad Majors in the movie version of Rocky Horror, Chris Malcolm slammed down the phone. Um, he was very pissed off. Uh, but Barry Bostwick is great, and he's really embraced the sort of, uh, you know, asshole in the, in the call-out Rocky Horror fandom that has uh, emerged, thankfully, over time. He's lovely. As Rocky Horror himself, you have Peter Hinwood. Peter Hinwood is an interesting case because he was purely cast because of his body. Um, uh, he had been found posing in muscle magazines, a.k.a. softcore gay porn, let's be real about it. Um, and that's why he was cast as Rocky Horror. Um, dyed his hair platinum blonde and displayed his beautiful body as it is. But the voice that you hear 
that you hear as Rocky in this movie is not Peter Hinwood. It is always dubbed by other people, um, including, obviously, the singing voice. And the thing that's interesting about the original play, the Rocky Horror Show, is that Rocky actually has lines. He's kind of a major character in the play, and he is not in the movie at all. Um, So I think it's important to contrast the two. Since they wouldn't let Jonathan Adams play the narrator, they hired Charles Gray, credited instead of the narrator as the criminologist, the person who has collected all the weird happenings in the Denton affair. And Charles Gray was a respected classical actor, uh... You've seen him in so many things. He does so well at that upper-crust British smarminess, that culturedness, that makes him such an incredible introduction into this world. Um, Yeah. So, I have talked long enough. I could talk more about the production of this movie, Um, but I'm going to say let's watch it, and if you want to learn more about the history of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I recommend the book Rocky Horror from Concept to Cult by Scott Michaels and David Evans. It's a really incredible, very fun read, and for me... The Rocky Horror Picture Show, like it is for many folks, one of the things that made me feel that I was okay. I think it is one of the quintessential Halloween movies. It is one of those movies where the message it brings at the end, don't Dream it, be it, is so relevant to so many people and always will be. Because Disney owns everything now. And Disney actually owns Rocky Horror, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And they, unlike many of the other movies that they now own they decided to not stop any screenings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show because they know the public would revolt as well they should. Enjoy the movie, and we'll come back for our second scary 70s film. And this is the infamous prom scene from our second feature of the night, Carrie, 
released in 1976, adapted from the novel by Stephen King and directed by Ryan D. Palma. Um, God, this movie could only have been made in the 1970s, much like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I don't think there will ever be a better adaptation of Carrie than this one. There have been several attempts to do it, and they've all been very tragic, and you shouldn't watch them. What you should watch is Carrie from 1976. And I know I'm cheating. If you are a regular listener to this podcast, 62 Horror Movies, you know that I promised that the second feature tonight would be Halloween with the Addams Family. And that's something I still recommend you watch. It's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. And it is... In 1977, the original cast of the Adams Family series from the 1960s reunited for a Halloween special that was supposed to be a pilot for a new series that never went forward. Um, but it's interesting to see the original Adams Family cast in color. And after a decade plus from the original series, Carolyn Jones has not aged a day from the original show. Um, it's really fun, and you should watch it. It's on YouTube. But I decided that in keeping on theme, Carrie from 1976 is a much better companion, and it is also one of my very favorite horror movies. And I mean, what makes Carrie work is a... It's hugely from Stephen King's original conception in his book, which was his first book. And also from the way Brian De Palma directs it. Brian De Palma really fancied himself the successor to Alfred Hitchcock, that sort of creative director of terror and he really kind of achieved it for a while and then kind of went down in flames he's not a director that is really talked about now um in horror history but his excesses in carrie work to its benefit that use of split screen the prom scene at the end of this movie which is so deeply earned in that split screen presentation it it would not have worked as well if he had done it in single shots that's a hats off to De Palma like you need those multiple perspectives to really feel the horror and the ugliness that is happening in the end of this film. But I think what makes Brian De Palma's Carrie truly extraordinary 
is the main performances by Sissy Spacek as Carrie and by Piper Laurie as her mother, the religious fanatic Margaret White. Those two women give performances for the ages, I think, in this film. They are so good. It is so, their scenes are so visceral, so uncomfortable to watch. You will never forget them. And Sissy Spacek was not someone who was supposed to be cast in this movie. Brian De Palma did not believe that she was right for the part. So when she went to her audition, Sissy Spacek smeared her long blonde hair with Vaseline. And she wore a dress that her mother had made her in middle school that still happened to fit her. And that's how she auditioned for Carrie White. And that's how she got the part. And, I mean, Sissy Spacek is one of the greatest actors of the 20th century. She really is. But what makes her so incredible in the role of Carrie White is not just her vulnerability, not just the strength that she... Perceive that she perceives when she realizes her powers. It's her eyes, these big crystal blue eyes. And when Carrie finally takes her revenge in the final moments of this movie, and Sissy Spacek covered in blood and surrounded by fire. She just, op- she just opens those big blue eyes as wide as she can, wider than you think could be humanly possible. And that gesture alone is terrifying. And that is why, I, a huge reason why, I think, no remake of Carrie can ever come close to what is achieved by Sissy Spacek in this role. Equaled by her is Piper Laurie as Margaret White, Carrie's mother, a religious fanatic, and she is absolutely bonkers terrifying in this movie, and I think also gives one of the great monologues in horror movie history as we've talked about a little bit with back with Ava Moore in the old dark house in 1932 with Zelda Rubinstein as Tangina in 1982 Piper Laurie's um, final monologue in Carrie of 1976 is up there with that and it's that whole confession that Margaret gives of her husband coming home with, with whiskey on his breath. And he took her and she liked it. And how she knew that the creation of the child was sin. And that monologue was not supposed to be in this movie at all. 
Uh, it was um, in the original script. It's in Stephen King's original book in a different form. Uh, but it's there. Uh, and it was going to be cut, but Piper Laurie, being the fucking great actor that she is, said to Brian De Palma, the director, can I just try this just for a shot? And in one take, Piper Laurie did that monologue that you see in the final film that was not supposed to be in the final film. She did it just once with no rehearsal and it's so brilliant and it is so disturbing. And like Ruth Gordon somehow being nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in 1968 for Rosemary's Baby and winning both Sissy Spacek as Carrie White and Piper Laurie as Margaret White were somehow nominated justifiably by God for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress of 1976. They did not win those awards, and they should have. And if you've never seen it, you should watch their work in Carrie. It is with their work and everything surrounding it and all the people surrounding it, an incredible horror film that you will never forget. And if you've seen it, you should watch it again, and then we'll close out the night. Thank you for joining me again for 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens, that's me. Tomorrow night, we're going to go into dark dreamland and watch Suspiria, directed by Dario Argento and The Company of Wolves. Directed by Neil Jordan. Until then, Happy Halloween, my friends.